Girl, here's the thing. Do you know how I know Sky Borgman, who directed this, is a genius? Wait, what? don't say that's an I statement. This is a we conversation. <laughs> Sorry, we. Do you know how we know that Sky Borgman is a genius? Listen, this whole episode is about how disgusting and bad New York City was in the 70s and 80s. Guess what we don't see, girl? That floating TV in the Hudson River. She didn't use the picture. Because she's a professional. Because she does the right. work. Because she shows up and she does good work. She's not lazy. Okay? I drunkenly found my way around a New Orleans hotel with her to get back to our rooms at CrimeCon because when there are conventions they have the hotels that the elevators don't make any sense and you get lost very easily. Sky and I found our way and if, if Sky wasn't there I don't know where I'd be. Right. <laughs> Sky, I send you my thanks. Girl, do you know what else I'm grateful for? What? Jillian Pensavale! <laughs> Patrick Hines. Banana. You guys, before we get to the show, just a quick reminder. You already know, if you're looking for more fun laughs, good times. Fun laughs, good times. Join us on the Patreon. You guys, Sky Borgman is our friend. She directed this episode. There's an interview with Sky that I did about this episode on the Patreon right now. I had so many questions when we were done with this. I was like, girl, yeah. you got to tell me everything. So that episode is uh, live at the $5 level. But girl, it's also where we do our series. Like every series I've ever wanted us to cover. Yes, so we just wrapped up McMillions. Yes. Now we are into I'll Be Gone in the Dark on HBO. You guys, I love it. It's so crazy. But it's also like, you know, Serial, The Staircase, Making a Murder, Lorena, The Jinx. Yeah, uh, OJ and Madeline McCann, Natalie Holloway. Tiger King, Don't F with Cats. You guys know. You can also get ad-free versions of these episodes, ringtones, after parties, quarantine check-ins. It's so much stuff. Patreon.com slash Obsessed, or go to our website, click on the Patreon link. Yeah, we're recording an after party after this. That's right. All about you and Lin-Manuel Miranda. We can't stop talking about it. I know. I'm sorry, everybody, but it's fun. <laughs> it's a fun story. I promise it's fun. Also, you guys, if you're not listening to our new podcast, it's called Obsessed with Disappeared. Ellen Marsh and I tell the stories of missing people by recapping the episode that covered their story on the ID show Disappeared, girl. Let me say something. She's doing the Lord's work because God knows I'm not talking. You know I hate the mysteries, the disappeared <laughs> stuff. I have trouble sleeping. I know. And she and uh, she's doing it with you. I know. So I have a lot to be grateful for in this moment that I don't have to sit through those episodes and and, you know, I love you, but yeah. I can't scream. I know, girl. Again. I know. About things um, like that. So thank you, Ellen, for having my back on that. I appreciate it. <laughs> Find Obsessed with Disappeared wherever you get your podcast. Anything from you today, girl? No, super hot. Just a lot of yeah. I'm really sweaty. It's going to rain, I think. And great. Yeah. Let's do this. Whatever. Racism <laughs> sucks. Here we go. <laughs> girl what are we talking about today we're talking about trial by media episode two the subway vigilante and we begin with a story that says something about our times the story of the subway vigilante to many new yorkers this man has become a folk hero it was the most notorious subway ride in history for teenagers caught a train from the bronx they traveled to manhattan looking for some big city excitement and boy, did they find it. An event that became an instant metaphor in the American national dialogue about street crime and the limits of self-defense. The media was doing its job. It was fear, fright, hysteria, and hype. The case has touched a nerve that has brought it into the national and international spotlight. We were able, for the first time, to get the issue of race front and center in the city in a mass media setting. The whole bloody world exploded on the newspapers and TV. It was incredible. When they walked into that car and they started messing with him, they didn't realize that the time bomb was already ticking. Tick, 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 tick. And we open on news footage from the time. And there's a quote. And it starts with like, to some, he's a folk hero. And I just said, well, that doesn't always end well. I mean, this guy is a piece of shit, girl. Totally. There's, there's, we're just... <laughs> oh my God, yeah. A folk hero he is not, girl. <laughs> like, not even... And neither was the guy in Tread, which was what I was referencing. Like... Totally. So when it's like, some people thought he was a folk hero. No. This is a little perfect. Like, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Right. So like, maybe the subway's a little cleaner right. now, but like, people are still dicks and racist. Right. So great. What do we really gain out of this? And the subways aren't that much better, if we're being honest. No, they were great. Remember when we got the new six and the new and all that? And it was really great for like a week. 
You okay over there, girl? No, I'm not. I'm having heat stroke. I'm feeling it. It's just the feeling of like, when was the last time I was in the subway? I know. I know. I know. So we're flashing back to December 22nd, 1984, and we're getting the story of what happened that day. And one of our first talking heads who's with us the whole time, and I've got so many questions for Sky Borgman about this guy, Curtis Sliwa. Is that how you say his name? Yeah. He's the founder of the Guardian Angels. I remember when I first heard about it. I don't even think it hit the news yet. I was on an Amtrak train, or the number four train. The conductors came up, said, you didn't hear about the gunman? He gunned these four black guys on a number two train in lower Manhattan. Girl, I had to gook the shit out of the Guardian Angels, because I was like, are they good guys? Are they bad guys? They are like self-appointed, like vigilantes, I guess is the word. They were like protecting the people on the subway, like taking the law into their own hands, I guess. Yeah, because there was a time, and we'll get into this a little bit. There was a time in one of the most dangerous eras to be in New York, the 70s and 80s. We've done 800 podcasts about this. Um, But there were no transit police. There were no police down in the subway. So these Guardian Angels, and now they have, I went to their website today. It's like, catch a perv like trying to get like sex predators and also trying to help animals but this guy he really puts on that accent I gotta tell you it's like yeah then they started messing with him and they didn't realize the time bomb was already ticking tick 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 and I was like oh we're gonna see and thank you Sky I know that was a wink to me we're gonna see a lot of peak 70s New Yorkers well we learned what happened was they say that he methodically shot four young men on a crowded 7th Avenue IRT Express a gunman who police say told the conductor of the southbound number two train that the four victims were trying to mug him. Our initial information was that he jumped between two cars and escaped uh, into the tunnel, but we're not exactly sure how he got away. He shot all four of these guys, and then the doors to the subway opens, and he, like, disappears into the tunnel. And when I say tunnel, he, like, runs into the tunnel where the train is supposed to go. Like a mole person. Like one of the mole people. (laughs) They live down there, you know. (laughs) You guys, Google the mole people. If you don't know what the mole people are, give that shit a go. You know, I look for the mole people when I'm on the subway in between stations. Everybody does. You have to know where they are at all times. I look for them. But also not to correct you, but we get the news from the day and it goes from like, man was getting harassed by four scary black adults to suddenly we realize the truth. Four teenagers were like pressing them for five bucks. These were not men. They were boys. Yes. Yes. Do you know what else we learned in this moment? I'm surprised you haven't brought it up yet. We learned that the gunman was also the Zodiac killer just based solely on the mugshot. Girl, we see this guy's mugshot. It is exactly the same sketch drawing as that guy who thinks his dad was the Zodiac Killer. It's the same. I mean, you can't tell me it's not the same mugshot. I feel like there was one sketch artist working in the country in like the late 1970s and he had to go everywhere and he just got sick of it and he drew one person. You know, that's a hell of a theory. <laughs> I think you might be right because that Zodiac, that Zodiac composite was thrown out early. I also just learned at this moment that you say gunman and not gunman. <laughs> That's the difference between the sweet little gay boy who grew up on Cape Cod and the hardened fucking New Yorker who grew up in Queens. This gunman over here looks like a girl. You've been here long enough, right? You, the, and you, we, do, we talk about true crime every week for like four years. The gunman. Girl. So this guy, he shoots these four black teenagers and we learn two of his victims are in critical condition tonight, suffering from gunshot wounds in the chest. The other two shot in the back are in serious condition. Two of the boys are in critical condition. Two of them are in serious condition. This guy just like ran into the night and it's like, wait a second. But everyone's like shockingly like, we can't imagine how this happened. I'm like, I guess they've never watched a documentary about New York in the 70s and 80s because shit was pretty bad. Also, how do you not, I'm not like promoting like getting more cops everywhere, but I'm just saying like in this time, the 70s in New York, everything was so terrible, but you don't have a single person like making sure everything's okay down there. I I know. Right? And then we get this Steve Dunleavy, this reporter at the New York Post. I knew you were going to have a problem with Dunleavy. I knew you weren't going to like that guy. He disappeared. He just disappeared. He disappeared. He just disappeared. I wrote... (laughs) 
I wrote it out almost as though I was like writing a script for you. I'm like, I really hope she says that. I wrote it. He disappeared. And then he he just ellipsis and then all in caps disappeared. <laughs> we learned that like overnight, essentially, this becomes like the biggest story in the tabloid newspapers in New York City. Right. And the dude from the post that that what's his name? Who knows? Oh, my God. Who am I? You? Right. <laughs> hey, could you take it easy on me today? God, before we started reporting, before we before we started reporting, I said, because this is serious news. Before we do we not report we actively do not report before we started recording i was telling you about how much stress i have in my life right now and frankly you've not been very kind what was the first thing you said to me you want to go down this road girl let's do it the the first thing you said to me was how freezing cold you are in our studio while i'm collecting sweat come dropping down my back and i'm once again not wearing pants okay so you're right i started it i started it what can i say let's get back to the reporting girl i just miss you i really just miss you is really the bottom line i know i feel really emotional about it and so like this british dude from the post is just like there's like footage of him back in the 80s being like the story is sensational there's only one way to write it and that's sensationally for a newspaper man it was exciting also baffling we were going nuts (laughs) to put it simply when it's a sensational story, darling, that's how we're going to cover it. Sensational. Yeah. He's almost bored by saying, like, this is a tragedy, but goddamn it, we're the Post, and we're going to be garbage about it. If I have anything to say about it, we are the goddamn New York Post, okay? We're going to be trash. Deal with it. We're the goddamn New York Post. Have some respect. We are trash. We're the New York Post. So this is where everyone is trying to figure out, like, who, like this guy disappeared into the night, like a mythic figure. Like, and everyone's trying to figure out who this guy is. But the thing that is so crazy to me, everyone's like, I wonder who this person is. If this suspect was a black dude, they would just arrest the first black guy they saw and put him away for the rest of his life or send him to the chair. So the fact that we're like, I wonder, I wonder who this probably very nice person is. It's just the beginning of the mythologizing of this person. Right. You know? Oh, yeah, totally, totally. And we're going to come to learn in a minute that, like, you know what? New Yorkers were really fed up because the subway was really fucking dangerous and scary and a lot of New Yorkers initially had this guy's back whoever he was. It's about time somebody's somebody protecting themselves. Nobody's protecting us on the subway. I'm tired of being afraid of riding the subways and I have to ride the subways. If he was being robbed hey, he had to do what he had to do. Self-defense. Simple as that. Even the British dude is like, it wasn't just the subway girl. You could get mugged on Fifth Avenue, like New York. And I'm like, oh, can we get it? God, watch a documentary. We get it. But there's like all these like New Yorkers are on the like the local news and they're terrified. And everyone like even black people and people of color are like, it's about time. Like no one protects us. That this was clearly self-defense. Like that's how bad it was. And so this Curtis guy, he's like, look, the Guardian Angels, we uh, protect the subway. And now they're doing all these like protests because they want amnesty for the shooter because they're like, well, in his defense like there weren't any transit cops like no one was down there like what was he supposed to do and the idea that everyone is like just blindly supporting this person it's so crazy because there's a part of me if we can think about the news of the day so obviously I don't think what this guy did was right what this guy did was very 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 wrong of course but when there's not enough information I do understand the feeling of like I'm sick and tired of feeling afraid of actually being mugged like Mm -hmm. when they eventually try to find a jury they literally can't find anybody who hasn't been mugged. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, yeah. And they're like, ooh, yikes. Maybe we should kind of do some introspection here. So I get it. Like, this guy was wrong and, like, we're going to find out exactly how wrong this guy was. And to be clear, like, these guardian angels on the subway, we're seeing people of all races. Black, white, Asian, Latino, like, white, all kinds of people of color. So that's, at the time, just to stress it, like, yes, this guy is not a vigilante. He's a piece of shit and a racist and, like, not well at all and that shouldn't, like, excuse him. But everyone in Manhattan was like, can we get someone to have our back in some way, please? I know. Like, can we get something done here? Curtis also wants us to know that the police really hated, what was this group called? The Guardian Angels. You're going to say yeah. the line, aren't you? Damn it. I knew. <laughs> but only because, the only reason I wrote this down was because of the use of one word. Do you know what the word is? Schmear. <laughs> oh, 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 God, no, I know. <laughs> The uh, police, for the most part, felt we like hemorrhoids and red berets. They couldn't find enough preparation H to smear on us. Hope we dry up and go away. He says smear, you guys. Smear. Oh, God. So this is where we learn who the victims were, right? We learn right. that the victims are Troy Canty, Barry Allen, James Ramsier, and Daryl Kaby. They were all 18 and 19 years old. Yeah. And we get a news reporter who's like, yeah, because Curtis, this the Guardian Angel guy, is like, oh, we know those kids. Yeah, all four of them. They used to, you know, work the two train all the time, coming from the Bronx. And then we get a reporter that's like, 
The four young men, ages 18 and 19, all lived in this South Bronx neighborhood. They had criminal records, but very light. It was criminal mischief they were charged with. They had, like, sure, okay, fine, tech, they had records, but they had light records. These were 18-year-old kids who maybe, like, some just, I don't know, they stole candy bar or whatever. Like, yeah, they had records, but they weren't violent criminals. No, but, like, they also tell us that they did find sharpened screwdrivers in the pockets of their jackets. That scared yeah. the shit out of me. You know what I mean? I th- That's a very, like, oh, shit. New York in the 70s and 80s was terrifying. And, you know, <laughs> like, we're going to hear over and over and over again from people from their own community who are saying, like, we're not saying these kids should be role models. We don't think the guy who shot them is a role model either. But there's one other important point, which is that they say that though they did have the sharpened screwdrivers in their pockets, all of the witness accounts say that they did not brandish any weapons and they are Mm -hmm. not being charged with any crimes. That's a really important thing that we need to remember over and over and over again. These kids didn't actually do anything. Right. And they're also like all the cops and reporters are saying like they've been super cooperative. Like at the end, P.S., they're going to press charges if and when this dude is found. They're going to press charges against the guy. Yeah. Against the guy, the vigilante. I, I, he's not a vigilante. He's just an asshole. I know. Like, it's really, it's, he's not a folk hero. No. <laughs> a folk hero is like, wait, who's a good folk hero? Andy DeFranco. Right. <laughs> 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 How dare you not say the Indigo Girls? How dare you? I am walking. Out. We keep seeing footage of these boys on stretchers. And one thing that really jumped out to me, they're on their stomachs, yeah. which means they were shot in the back, yep. which means they were running away and they weren't attacking this guy. And that's really important to note because it comes back later. Yeah. So it's December 31st, 1984. Guys, we're going to Concord, New Hampshire. Oh, okay. Road trip. Let's yeah. go. Actually, does everyone have your mask before we go? Right. <laughs> and your sanitizer? Okay, great. Open those windows. So <laughs> we learned that a, a guy named Bernard Getz turns himself in and says he was a subway Vigilant. If he didn't turn himself into the Concord cops, we may never, ever, ever have caught him. So tonight, New York City detectives are on their way to Concord to question him and bring him back. Been arrested and charged with attempted murder, four counts, unlawful possession of a weapon. One of the newspaper reporters is like, girl, why? If this guy had never turned himself in, we would never have caught this guy. Right. I even even have on my notes like, oh, shit. Okay, then. Because we went from like, no one knows where this guy is. Yeah. Oh, my God. To him just being like, bing, bing. Hey, I did it. So the, the New York City cops go to get him, right? He's charged with four counts of attempted murder and one count of an unlawful possession of a deadly weapon. We see this guy. This guy looks like the opposite of a folk hero. He's like this skinny, pale, pasty, white dude. Right. And so we get video of the questioning, which I was not expecting. This video is unbelievable. And the timestamp says 942 on New Year's Eve. And I'm like, good, stay inside. New Year's Eve sucks anyway. <laughs> stay in for New Year's. If you're thinking, oh, 942, oh, all their New Year's Eve, oh, it's ruined. No, New Year's sucks. Stay inside. <laughs> So the video starts and this poor woman, this like lady DA is trying. Susan. Susan. She's trying to explain to him what is happening. Now he is a wreck, right? He, okay. (laughs) Can I just like paint a picture before you say this amazing thing that I know you're about to say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He is like, he weighs 120 pounds soaking wet, legs crossed. He's crumpled in on himself. He's rocking back and forth in the chair. Like this guy is a fucking disaster. Right. And so Susan, Susan's like, okay, so just for the record, you agree to talk to us on video, just doing like housekeeping. And this guy gets just goes, oh God. Oh, like, like he's like, he's in pain. Oh, it's just, it's just hearing New Yorkers speak. I don't even, I can't, I can't. Because then Susan doesn't bite because she's smart. So Susan's like, yeah, okay, whatever. So we have your permission to tape this. Yes or no, girl. Like it's 942 on New Year's. Like, let's go. And he just wants her to shut up. It's like her whole voice is lava. He's like, yes, just, oh my God. God, yes, just stop talking. Just, just stop talking. Just stop talking. And she's like, You almost killed four black. What? You- how am I the dick in this situation? How am I the bad guy here? I'm Assistant District Attorney Susan Braver, and I'm with the New York County Manhattan District Attorney's Office. You indicated to the detectives here that you would speak with us about oh, this. Good. You know, just when I hear New Yorkers speak, I, I don't even want to. Uh, I mean, to get this is all on videotape. Sure. Then it's like this gets character, this real piece of work. He's just like I, I, I just I, I, I told him everything, okay? And I'm not gonna fight it. I'm not gonna fight it. You understand? I am not gonna fight this. Okay? Look, I'm not gonna fight this. And he lives in the village and he's described by this reporter as like quiet and frail, and the reporter's like For a man some describe as a quiet, frail scientist, it's been quite a day. 
For a man people describe as a quiet, frail scientist, it's been quite a day. And I'm like, the quiet, frail scientist who just gunned down four black kids? Like, how frail is that? But we learned four years ago, he was mugged by three teenagers. And according to him, he got beaten up like pretty bad. And he's describing the attack to the cops on tape. And I'm like, okay, he had one bad thing happen to him one time four years ago. Well, look, I'm going to say, look at this guy for two seconds. This guy's gotten his ass kicked his entire life. He was that mouthy, smart kid who didn't know when to shut up in middle school. Calling people names that we're not going to say on the yeah, air. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or, or ever kind of thing. That's that's who this guy is, thinking that he's smarter and better than everybody. Now, he's describing in this video this attack that happened to him four years ago, like on the subway. They deliberately went after my knee and they got it. Like I got kicked in the knee and then what hurts you, they didn't have weapons. And people, you don't have to be maimed with a weapon. What, what really hurts you is a sidewalk. They tried to push me to a plate glass store also. These are wounds that have never left this person. He's saying they deliberately went for his knee. They didn't have any weapons. It's the sidewalk that really hurts you. And you guys, when people suffer attacks like this, it's really good to know. Talkspace is one of our ads this week. Like, this shit can leave really lasting scars and, like, really impact people. And you need to Mm -hmm. fucking deal with your mental health when this shit happens. Yeah, trauma is real. I'm not taking any of that away from him at all. But it's also not an excuse to take it out on four. I'm not saying you think that. Yeah, I'm just saying yeah. like for all the like, maybe he's a folk hero. Like maybe he had just had enough. It's not like these four teenagers were attacking him on a weekly basis for four years. These were not the same people. I think what I do want to say is that like he pulled the trigger. He's responsible. He made the choice. It's all on him. But the contributing factors are kids are fucking mean to each other. Nobody makes mm-hmm. that shit stop. Bullying is real. New York City should have gotten his act together to not let people being constantly being mugged and like having the shit kicked out of them on the sidewalk. This guy should have had better parenting so that he knew when he was having nightmares every night after this attack, which you know he was, to go get some fucking help for it. We shouldn't be shaming mm-hmm. people for going to therapy. Like, there's a lot of contributing factors here. Again, he pulled the trigger. He made the decision. It's all on him. But like you say, the world is just a shitty fucking place. Yeah, and like all of those things are true. Yeah. So like he could have had this traumatic experience, but he also made the choice that day yeah. on the subway. And like my overriding thesis always is like, if we were all just nicer to each other, I bet a lot of this shit wouldn't happen, you know? Mm-hmm. We'd be out of work. I fingers know. Fingers crossed, And right? what do we always say? Put us out of work, you guys. Stop murdering each other. So this section ends with Curtis saying that, like, being in the streets, I can identify with that that other person in you that will no longer be beaten, robbed, and violated any longer. It's a fight back. It's a caller. And people, instead of rejecting that, actually identified with that. Rather than rejecting that, people are embracing it because it's what we've been saying. People were sick of being afraid and they didn't know the whole story. Right, and they related to him. Exactly. So this guy is like extradited back to New York City. We see, you guys, they are like, the people are raising money for his legal defense and for his bail. There's like a switchboard. Fundraising efforts are underway to pay his bail and legal expenses. You make it out to the BH gets G-O-E-T-Z defense fund. Pre-GoFundMe, children gather around. Before GoFundMe's and like Kickstarters, he has like a publicly funded defense fund and he gets Mark Baker and Barry Slotnick as his defense attorneys. And uh, usually they defend, you know, the likes of John Gotti and Joe Colombo. But there was a dramatic move away from the kind of clientele we were carrying at that particular point in time. But from the standpoint of its evidentiary issues, the media attention, It was just a lawyer's dream. And the stakes were high, which is what defense lawyers look for. This is a lawyer's dream. We want all this media attention. This is a crazy story. It's going to be sensational. Let's defend this guy. Yeah, and it's like, it's one thing to think that. It's another thing to say it out loud to my friend Sky Borgman. Today. I, that's what I'm saying. It's not just that, like, footage of it. It's, inc- it's, it's, there's a lot of this that makes me put my ha- head in my hands and just go, I can't. You know that I believe that Sky is, like, a brilliant director. And I, like, I want to believe that she, like, asked a question in, like, just exactly the right way to get him to say the truthful answer. No, this guy's just garbage. He's like, did you, you want to get me from a different angle saying that I am total garbage or do you right. want? <laughs> Is the lighting okay? And Sky's like, who are you talking to? Uh, yes, your mic is on. The right. levels are perfect. Don't worry about it. I made abducted in plain sight. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> oh, Sky, loving you. Um, but the thing is, like, now Getz is super famous. They're like SNL bits about him. Who's that? Who's that guy? That's Bernard Getz. <laughs> He's the subway vigilante. 
he looks marvelous. You know how we joke about how people are really serious in these documentaries sometimes being like, I just cannot yeah. walk down the street without someone <laughs> approaching me. And I'm like, you're like, know, fa- you're like me message live. board famous, dude. Like you're not. Yeah, like- yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. Getz is actually kind of living that life. Like he can't go to the diner around the corner because some waitress wants him to run for president. He was right to do what he did. I would have done the same thing. I hope he runs for president. It's really crazy. And the thing that's so fucking annoying about this is that he's got a smirk on his the face the whole time. Everywhere he goes, he's being mobbed by people. We're told that he needs more protection than fucking Michael Jackson at the time. You guys, this is like the 1980s. But he's got a smirk on his face the whole time. He loves the attention. And like, he believes he did a good thing for the world and is rightfully getting the adoration that he deserves. Yeah, he was turned into a meme before a meme. Like, all these like bumper stickers. Totally. And sayings that said like, ride with Bernie, he gets them. (gasps) Oh! Isn't that horrible? Yeah. So, you know, who's telling us this is fucking lobbyist for the NRA. And then Sky, my dear friend, leans in and says, Did you have a bumper sticker? And he's like, you, you bet, bet I, I did. did. And I'm like, just in case lobbyist <laughs> NRA, that lower third, really didn't drive the point home what a piece of shit this guy is. Sky just has him yeah. say it in no uncertain terms. Can I just tell you, we always talk about like when directors ask questions and it's always our favorite part. It was so nice to hear her voice. I haven't seen my friend in a really long time. Yeah, it was. I was like, <gasps> I guess I guess. A little more, but for a different reason this time. You know, I was like, oh, girl. She talked to a lot of colorful people for this documentary, you guys. You got to go listen to that interview. We get the scoop on all of them. But now, this is a gun control issue. The gun Bernie had, he, he obtained in Florida. He brought it to New York illegally. Bernie Getz couldn't get a concealed carry license in New York City, even though he's exactly the kind of person who should have been able to. So I knew instantly Bernie was going to be the poster boy for the NRA. This NRA guy is defending Bernie Getz by saying he tried to do this the right way. He tried to get a gun in New York State, but when he couldn't get one, he had to go out of state to do it. And so we see Bernie like in this deposition explaining his process. Right. He's like, I lied. I did everything. I lied on my application about where I worked. I moved some money around, different yes. accounts, in and out. And then to this detective, you yeah. know, when I complained about it, I get told, you know, we can't just give guns to people because they want them. That would be irresponsible. I mean, can you believe this person? Like, he's me <laughs> on this podcast. You know, I have like in huge flashing gay pride letters. Do you know why we don't have mass school shootings in New York City and New York State? Because we have really strict gun laws. That's actually one of the things that was explained to me. This is why this shit doesn't happen here. Right. And like, if you can't get that license, too fucking bad. You don't get the license. Like, I just don't care. I know. Like, Bernie Getz went through something really fucking traumatic. Like, I understand why he wanted to have a gun, but, like, they said no, girl. You know what I mean? Like, you don't just get to have one. You tried. You lied. You moved your money around. It's just not going to work. It's just not going to happen. No. And then meanwhile, like, there are these black leaders who want a civil rights investigation. And so that's why Al Sharpton's here. And look, rightfully so, Al Sharpton is saying, like, I think that Mr. Getz was seriously psychologically damaged by former muggies. And that in his mind, that young blacks are the stereotypical type muggers. I'm firmly convinced if those four boys had been white, he would have not have assumed they were out to mug him until they had actually tried to mug him. And he says he shot them because they were black and he's afraid of black people. Like, let's say what it is. Even senators are saying that on the Congress floor, saying like, yeah, black people just have to show up and they're a threat. So, yeah. Yeah. And it's like, you know, and again, like, this is where we get the back and forth of like, who's the real victim? And Al Sharpton is saying like this quote, subway vigilante. We are now valuing this man's life so much more than we're valuing the lives of these four black boys that he shot. We need a proper investigation. And I'm like, yes, girl. How is that not happening? Yeah. Like, why? Why is this a conversation? Like, just do the investigation. Am I crazy? Like, what is the problem here? No, and he's saying vigilantism. You're going to call this guy a vigilante? Guess what, girl? Birth of a Nation is back. We get that same scene from 13th where the Ku Klux Klan, like, murders this black man and, like, lays him on his own porch or whatever. And Al Sharpton is saying to us, Vigilantism is what my mother and my grandmother and them had to run from in the South. The Klan was vigilantes. We fought from abolitionist movement all the way through the Civil Rights Movement for the law to protect us. How can we then turn around and embrace those that say, I'm gonna take the law in my own hands? 
then we learn like Daryl Cabey, one of the victims, he was paralyzed from the waist down because of being shot by Getz. And so we're in Cabey's kitchen with his mother and Garbage Geraldo. Remember her? We used to uh, remember we used to scream about Garbage Geraldo all the time. All the time. Garbage Geraldo is back to ask his mother to her face. I understand that your son is in critical condition. Is there any chance he actually was trying to mug that white guy, though? Have you considered the possibility that Daryl was trying to to mug Getz? No, I don't. I don't believe. I know he wasn't out to mug him because before he went into the coma, he told me he was sitting across from him, and um, he didn't say anything to him or asked him for anything. It's so like insulting and just so fucked up that he would do that to her and she just handles it with all the grace in the world like she she's not you her hair is not on fire <laughs> she's not screaming can you explain to me what grace is girl what is this grace of which you speak don't worry about it <laughs> I, I don't need I it can't, i can't define it but i know it when i see it <laughs> And so, like, now, you know, Daryl's mother is getting all this hate mail and these death threats. And we meet the family attorney, Ron Kuby, who was a little teeny baby when this happened. And we yeah. see him then and we see him now. I was going to say adorable then, adorable now. Hair in a ponytail then, hair in a ponytail now. <laughs> I love him. I love him. She's in a state of shock. Uh, she said that, that the, whole, the whole thing is just unreal to her. And she said the message that comes out of this is that it's all right for white people to go out and pick up guns and shoot black people. He's, he's like, look, my whole thing is here. Call me crazy, but it's not OK for white people to shoot black people. And God damn it, I will die on this hill. I believe in this. And I'm like, cool, Ron. Me too. So he like with his assistance, KB's mother files a 50 million dollar lawsuit against Bernie Getz. I'm here for that. And meanwhile, Getz's lawyer literally is like, yeah, but my client has black friends. That's the official defense. My client has black friends. Meanwhile, Getz's attorney said his client has black friends and is deeply hurt by allegations the shooting was partly motivated by racism. And he was deeply hurt that anybody would believe that the shooting was motivated by racism. You know what deeply hurt is? Getting shot in the back, you bitch. Yeah, yeah, fuck off. That's, Not a, you, that's no. a deeply hurt. <laughs> Yeah, but then, then, February 27th, 1985, everything changes because the full video confession when he's with our friend Susan, not Simpson, different Susan, yeah. <laughs> this leaks. You know who has had it? The district attorney. She is like, I am putting this shit out. I cannot sit on this one more god. I cannot let these assholes run this media narrative for one more minute. We are putting this videotape out there. And I... I it, it's it's so bad and it gets worse every second and you know what good if this exposes what a piece of shit this guy is great yeah and so you know we're back to the interview with this guy gets like this is the one that he did in New Hampshire we're getting pieces of it on New Year's Eve yeah we're getting pieces of it throughout and so whereas the narrative in the media had been that these four guys were trying to mug him and shake him down for money and he shot them in self defense now he is actually saying what happened and the two were on my right and the two were on my left I, I knew at that point I would have to pull the gun when I saw the, the smile on his face and the, shine, and the shine in his eyes that he was enjoying this, it was at that point I decided I was going to kill them all, murder them all, do anything. He tells us that as soon as he saw them, he knew he was going to have to pull the gun. When he saw the smile on one of their faces. And the shine in his eye that they were enjoying this. And he says, that's when I knew I was going to murder them all, kill them all, do anything. And he described, you guys, it's it's so bad. So just like, again, if you're driving, pull over, as we always say. <laughs> Because it's so, it's the, the coldness. Like he just, this was not self-defense and he doesn't no. care. And he was out to kill these boys. And he describes shooting them. And he describes that he shot them until he thought they were dead. And so then he walks up to Daryl Cabey, the one who's paralyzed and is on a respirator now who might yeah. die. He says, he went up to him and says, And the fellow who was standing up, I was sure I shot. It was funny. I, I went, I went to him the second time. And I looked down. And he can't verify this because he was probably out of it by then. If I had shot him or if he wasn't, I don't know. And I said, you seem to be doing all right. Here's another. Well, you seem to be doing all right. Here's another. And shoots him again to make sure he's dead. This was not self-defense. And his own lawyer, his own sensational lawyer who's just said it for the press, yeah. even says, Well, that changed the climate. 
dramatically. It showed that it wasn't offensive. It was a cold-blooded uh, attempted execution. This was cold-blooded attempted execution. Your lawyer is saying that. I'd be like, girl. And the difference is the lawyer thinks it's justified. He's like, yeah, this is definitely cold-blooded murder, but the lawyer takes the case because he thinks it's justified. And you know, you know it's bad when even the NRA dude is like, yeah, that was kind of a problem when he said right. that. <laughs> Ooh, that's, uh... <laughs> Yeah, and then, like, just when you think you can't get enough, and, like, I honestly envisioned Sky Borgman watching this video for the first time, being like, bitch, what? And she plays just enough of it, and it seems to go on and on, and that's the point, because right. he just keeps talking. He says things like, I wanted to kill those guys, I wanted to maim those guys, I wanted to make them suffer in every way I could. Look, if I had more bullets, I would have shot them all again and again. The old, my problem was I ran out of bullets and I was gonna I was gonna gouge one of the guy's eyes out with my keys afterwards. This is not someone who's in fear for his life. This is someone who's been dealing with some shit for years and years and took it out on these four kids. Yeah, this person is is not well. He is an no. unwell person. And he should be taken off the streets. And he's a fucking racist. Right, exactly. He's a violent racist. Like, I, I mean, my God. And so what's happening now is that now that these statements are out, the media narrative is changing. So Bernie gets the shooter, who at first wouldn't talk to anybody. Now it's like open season and he's taking all interviews. And he talks to the New York Post because the New York Post is like we were always a little nicer to him because we're trash. Right. So <laughs> he gave us the exclusive because he thought we'd maybe like throw him a bunch of softballs yeah. perhaps. They send a black reporter to talk to this guy. <laughs> and this reporter is amazing. And then Barbara Walters tells us. Last night we had a takeout Chinese dinner. Gets just picked at the food. The person that I met was a very all four of them were very menacing people. You have to understand that this was a real life violent situation. They ordered Chinese food. And I'm like, you guys, it's just like, why? I, I feel like we cover this every week. Why is this asshole on the six o'clock news ranting about these, quote, thugs and anarchy? Like, Barbara, yeah. Walters, go get your General Chow's chicken somewhere else. Right. <laughs> like, go get your my fun elsewhere. Like, you have to have takeout with this dude. So, you guys, we jump to 1987. This happened in 1984. Is that right? Yeah, December 22nd, 1984. So, yeah. It's, again, but we, again, it's like, how, how, why does it always take so long? It always takes so long. And we're talking about his trial. His trial is starting. So, the jury is selected. We're at, like, the first day of court, and we see this mob of reporters outside. Girl, I don't know if you noticed this or not. Getz showed up in jeans. This guy is on trial for, like, attempted murder. He shows up in fucking jeans. I mean, he just does not care. No. He doesn't care about these lives. He he does he's not taking it seriously he is and that's part of this i mean it's called trial by media like he just thinks well they think i'm a folk hero i'm getting all this attention he just thinks like yeah i did the right thing i'm not taking this seriously and i would do it again it's crazy this made me do a spit take we learned that the prosecutor in his opening arguments refers to him as an emotional powder cake to which i did a spit take and then i said excuse you yeah i'm right here speaking on behalf of all emotional powder cakes everywhere sir i will thank <laughs> I'm you right tonight. Here. say it to my right. face how dare you <laughs> Emotional powder cake. That's my drag name. Absolutely it is. Put that on a t-shirt. That's you. That is you through and through. So the defense is doing really everything they can to just drag down the four victims. I will be prosecuting those four thugs that ventured upon Bernhard Getz and meant to do him ill will and rob him. I don't understand why they weren't prosecuted. And, you know, the guardian angels, those guys who would like protect the city when the cops couldn't, they were of all races. So he got a bunch of like black guardian angels to recreate the shooting in the courtroom. And yeah. I was just like, this is. And then that guy, Carl, the grand wizard of the guardian angels Curtis. or whatever. Curtis, the grand wizard of... <laughs> Curtis describes, he's like, I said to my guys, you know, they were about to go on and perform on the, you know, the trial floor. He's like, look. So I told the Guardian Angels, act the way these guys act. Act like thugs, like we see it all the time on the trains. Mad dogging him and I fornicating him. The judge, who should never have allowed that to begin with, was like really fascinated at this. The court was fascinated at this. 
And then Waples was screaming at the judge, what are you doing? Really go in there and act like thugs. Really play it up. He said, I fornicate him. He told them to I fornicate him. Act like they do. I know. Act like they do. He goes, you know, they'd be antagonizing him, I fornicating him. And I'm right. like, Curtis, go home and go to bed. And the prosecutor is screaming like, I object. This is bananas. Like, <laughs> what, are, what is going on? I just want to see the drunk history version where we see a courtroom where a prosecutor jumps up and screams, I object. This is bananas. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> like mouthing it to your voice. I love that whole thing. So Getz's lawyers are saying like the last thing we wanted in the world was for him to take the stand. So the interview tape that he did was going to have to speak for itself. And so we're back to this interview and we see him telling the story of the night that this happened. I was going downtown to have a drink before Christmas with a few friends and just do some bullshitting for a while. I was in the middle of a project. I got disgusted with it. I was working on a piece of equipment. I said, well, I better take a break. Now, by the way, I went on that train. When I walked in there, I was as lighthearted as could be. But the situation develops. Right, and he's like, you know, I was working on some project. I was disgusted with it, by the way. Some, like, science project he was doing at home. And he was like, I wanted to go downtown and meet my friends for drinks. I just needed a break. When I got on that train, I was as lighthearted as can be. Right. Were you? Because you seem like the kind of dick that just always has a chip on your shoulder no matter what. So I don't know how lighthearted you can be. Yeah. And then it's just like, so I saw these black people. Uh, they were going to beat the shit out of me. And I snapped and I said, I'm going to waste them. I'm going to kill all of them. It was a Attempted cold-blooded murder. Don't deny it. Yeah. He, had, like, acknowledges on tape, I know that it was attempted murder. I admit to it. When I saw this look, I knew what their intentions were. And, you and, 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 and I snapped and I said, I'm going to waste them for you. So, you know, phrase, I'm going to waste them all. It was just, it was, it was attempted cold-blooded murder. I don't deny that. And if you're going to pass judgment on that, good. And then it cuts back to modern day and one of his lawyers, Mark, is saying the other lawyer was like, well, after the tape was played, I was like, we're fucked. And Mark was like, no, girl. You gotta remember, we don't have to prove innocence. We just have created doubt as to guilt. And we thought the tape did that. Anybody who's seen that tape will have one opinion or another. I always found it sympathetic. Mark says to my face, he's like, you know, when you watch that tape, you're gonna come down on one side or the other. I have always found that tape to be sympathetic. Oh my God. When he said the word sympathetic, I I was like, st like I can't believe it. And but so Getz is saying like, yeah, sure, I'm a monster, but New York City made me this way. Right. So, I mean, that's basically the end of the trial, you guys. After four days of deliberation and a seven-week trial, the jury brings in the verdict. You guys, we learn he had been brought up on 13 charges, including attempted murder. He is acquitted on all charges except for illegal possession of a gun. He gets completely off for having... For, for the shooting of those four men. My jaw was, how? I know. How, Robbie, how? I after know. that confession video <laughs> where he says it was cold-blooded attempted murder. Like, what is going on? And I was thinking, like, if you were, like, I think that, like, 13th was such an education for me in terms of, like, the whole idea of, like, it feeling genocidal. Like, that whole thing really stuck with me. This is just another yeah. instance where if you're a black person living in America, especially living in New York City, you must just feel like now anybody can literally shoot you on the subway and get away with it. Because really what you're saying is we could have the maximum injuries and it doesn't matter. That the law is not going to say but there's value in this life and you can't take it or injure it. So we go to sentencing and again, fucking Getz shows up to his sentencing in Jeans Girl. I don't know why it makes it. Jeans <laughs> at your sentencing is the new smoking inside for me. I don't know why it makes me so mad, but it makes me so goddamn mad. And his lawyers should have dressed him up. I know. You know, his lawyers should have been like, can you take this shit seriously for five seconds? Can you act like you give a shit, I know. please? I know. I know. And, you know, we learned earlier in the documentary that there's like a mandatory thing in New York State that if you get caught with an unlicensed or unregistered gun, you get a year in jail and there's no getting around. It. And that's what he gets. He gets a year in Rikers, which I was like, holy shit, that could not have gone well for him. Like, oh my God. Right, no. And he only ended up serving eight months and he's out. And I just like was banging my head against the wall. Eight months he served in Rikers for shooting and almost killing four young men. And wanting to kill them. Yeah, yeah. Wanting to kill them. Wanting and admitting to trying to kill them. Right. So now we're just 11 years later, we're at the civil suit for Daryl Cabey. Hey, remember we 
learned that the mom was suing for $50 million in damages or whatever. It's 1996, you guys. And you guys, we learned that in 1996, this guy gets still has the same electronics business. The point is, this guy has no money. And like everyone's saying, like, why even bother? He doesn't have the money. But our lawyer that we love, our lawyer friend is back to say, well, I, I don't expect to get that, but th there are a lot of other white bigots with guns out there, and there has to be a message sent to them, which is sooner or later, even if it takes 10 or 12 years, we're going to come after you, and we're going to get you, and we're going to make you pay. And so you better just keep it in your holster. Ron a QB for president. I know. Where are you? I love you, girl. I love you, Ron. But it's also like, they wanted to say, too, like, it was also about exposing this guy for, like, the bigot that he is, you know? Right. He was not a hero. He was not a vigilante. He was not a good guy. And so now he's, like, on the stand at the civil suit. Get ready. Buckle up. Pull over. Because he's being asked about this, like, building association meeting in 1980. And I'm like, this person is such a racist that we can go back. People are like, oh, that bitch? I know. Oh, oh, you won't believe. I was just trying to get to the rum punch. And right. he says all these horrible things that we're not going to say. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, I mean, look, I shot them because these guys represent the worst of society. They'll never amount to anything. And I'm like, this person has to stop talking. He's an asshole. And I know that. But it's like, I don't want his energy out in the world. And then he's just like. And you also think it would have been a lot better had Shirley Cavey had an abortion. Isn't that right? Shirley Cavey specifically, it would probably be better than the present status quo we have today. And that thing I said about um, how Daryl Cabey's mom should have had an abortion. Yeah, I totally meant that, too. And I'm like, oh, my. I know. I know. I know. I know. You can't believe it. When he you're... just keeps talking. In open court. And he's saying it so calmly. He's a psychopath. Yeah. Like, I know we don't assign mental health. But this part, the way you're right, his tone, he's just like, yep. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm like, oh, my God. Yeah. And so the jury returns a liability verdict of $43 million. And, like, again, we knew that we were never going to get a dime of it. But, like, the lawyer says. Gets declared back bankruptcy shortly after that. But but what Shirley Cavey was after was what happened the next day. Lead editorial in the Daily News. No hero never was. And then we end on Curtis. And now we're in 2017. Right. And Curtis and this guy Getz are still like best friends. They are like in total touch. Yeah. And Curtis has some stupid radio show and he has some interview and he's like, hey, look who's here. Bernie Getz, the subway right. gunman or gunman, <laughs> yeah. girl. Gunman, yeah. if just to, for, to translate. <laughs> the gunman. And so he's asked, do you regret it? And his answer is regret what? Bernie. So here's the million dollar question. Do you regret it all these years later? Regret what? Regret the shooting. Pulling the trigger? Yes. Well, I, Shooting not, those I, black young men. Well, I don't think it's the type of thing you regret. See that, Dominic? So, so, wait, so, so you don't regret it? No, no. Like, he doesn't know, like, that. it's so, he doesn't care. And they're like, I'm shooting the black people? And he's like, well, that's not really a thing you regret. I mean, I regret tons of things in my life, but that wasn't one of them. This person. I know, I know, I know. And then we learn, like, at the very end, we learn that this guy, Bernie Getz, still lives in the same apartment on 14th Street. Guys, I could give you the address. He's a vegan, he smokes a ton of pot, and he keeps squirrels as pets. You know who did that? Arthur Lee Allen, uh, probably the Zodiac Killer, had <gasps> squirrels running around his fucking trailer. Are you serious? I'm serious. That footage was very, and they're literally, look, I love animals. Squirrels are cute. Don't hurt them. Don't kick them in the park, please. But they're like running up his arms. I know. I and know. Curtis to this day says to Skye's right, she, he looks Sky right in the eye yeah. and the me. And it's like. He's vegan. He, you know, he smokes his Maui Waui and his Hindu Kush. He's got his squirrels. He's in his own little world. He's harmless. But on that day, he's harmless. All right. He's got not, but he's not harmless because still in 2017, he doesn't think he did anything wrong. And so Curtis, I have an issue with you too. Right. You're on the list now. Great. <laughs> the subway vigilante we did trial by media episode two sky i loved this episode great job girl great job i mean we hate everybody in it but she was great and then yeah. qb the lawyer we loved you guys just a reminder if you're looking for more fun laughs good times join jillian and me on the patreon it's where we do our series girl right yep. so it's where you know tiger king lorena donut with cats cereal the staircase the jinx making a murderer mcmillions and yes. i'll be gone in the dark and my interview with sky borgman about this episode go check that out right now i asked her 
all the questions, you guys. It's bananas. Um, you know where know. to go. Patreon.com slash TrueCrimeObsessed or go to our website. Click on the Patreon link. For five bucks, you get a hun- over 140 full bonus episodes to download and binge right now. Yeah, and just like fun after parties and ringtones and it's a party. I yeah. don't know how many times I have to say it. <laughs> Everyone's invited. If you're too busy, if you don't want to come, that's okay. But just know you're on the list. Yeah. Everyone's on the list is exactly. the point. Girl, the next episode is going to be episode three of this. What What is it again? It's called 41 Shots okay. and it's about more uh, NYPD bullshit with Amadou Diallo. It's 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 a doozy, everyone, but we're going to be here to help you through it. Oh, goodness gracious. We don't have a trailer for that because they don't have individual trailers for these episodes, but just mm-hmm. know it's coming. Girl, where can they yeah. find us? They can find us at truecrimeobsessed.com. That is a website, so you go on the online. Yeah. You type in <laughs> www.truecrimeobsessed.com. It's a whole thing. You're going to give the whole thing, aren't you? It's a, it's a brand new thing. We invented the internet just for that, you guys. It's really hot. This is what I think is funny now. Just me like making do bits about the internet. Like, wow, I really need to reevaluate my life and my and what I do. Um, so we're at True Crime Obsessed Podcast on Instagram. We are at True Crime Obsessed on the Twitter and uh, Patreon.com slash True Crime Obsessed. Is that yeah. everything? Yeah, you're Jillian with a G on all the things. I'm at Patrick Hines underscore on the Instagram. That's all you need to know. Stay tuned for the crazy outtakes. What am I fired? No. What am I fired now? <laughs> and you're at no. Patrick Hines on Twitter. Excuse me. Thank okay, just you, fine. Girl. Just do all the social media for whatever. <laughs> it's fine. Um, girl, I love you. I love you. We love you guys. Thanks for hanging out with us. Thanks for listening. And we're just, we're right there next to you. We're right here. We'll be, you know, we'll see you next week. And we're right here. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. We're right here. For better or worse, we're right next to you. (laughs) Uh, All right. Bye. Bye. (laughs) You guys, before we get to the show, just a quick, is that how we do this? I can't remember how we do the intro. I can almost pinpoint it to an Indigo Girls song. I can almost, like, I can almost give you the lyric where they say the gunman. There's definitely some Tori Amos song. It's it's okay. Different podcast. Different podcast for a different time. (laughs) I love it when you say the word trash. When you say the word, it is so funny when you say the word trash. I don't know why it hits harder than garbage. (laughs) Like, garbage is pretty, like, to call someone or something garbage is pretty, and that's what started. And then suddenly, Gloria Gomez brought it out of me. I don't know what it was about her. He says schmear, you guys. Schmear. Oh, God. Like it's an everything bagel. Like, how exactly. dare you? How, da- how dare you invoke an everything bagel right now when I haven't eaten since 9 a.m., girl? How dare, how how dare you? How dare you? <laughs> how long till my soul gets it right? Oh, my God. You knew it was going to happen someday. And the timestamp says 9.42 on New Year's Eve. And I'm like, good. Stay inside. New Year's Eve sucks. <laughs> Stay in. Listen, first night, Concord, New Hampshire is really fun. I've actually been there. <laughs> <laughs> I've actually been to Concord for first night. You can have a little small gathering with you and your friends. You can wear the hats, the champagne, the noisemakers. But don't do not do that thing where it's like $45 to go to some stupid club yeah. that sucks. A club? Who goes to clubs? Stop. I can't. Liza, Liza and Liza alone. Where's my club? A person I knew in high school and college who's actually like on my list officially lived on 14th and 5th for a long time. Oh my God. I'm so afraid for that person. <laughs> Are they going to be okay? No. That's a, t- that's, a, that's a volume and a tone I don't often do on this show. <laughs> Do you know how I was able to remember the name of his lawyer who's with us for this documentary? The guy's name is Mark Baker. I The association I did was Mark Lynn Baker, who was um, the lead on Perfect Strangers, who wasn't Balky Bartokomos. Oh, great. Yeah. I'm going to use yeah. that. I followed you. I was right there every step of the way. I love Mark Lynn Baker. He's a Broadway person. One time I was on the subway with him and I said, hello. I don't know. I, I wanted to say I'm a big fan and I got nervous and I just said, hello. And he went... Hello. <laughs> Hello. And all he could say was, hello. Yeah. I love that. You know one thing that's you, that's my favorite? When um, you say dude and then you catch yourself and immediately okay, change it to girl. All the time. <laughs>